So we're going to uh, start this quarter off with a study of the life and the epistles of Peter. Uh, we're going to do some combining, if you will, about uh, the Apostle Peter and sort of a study of his life and things that took place during his uh, time. And with the two epistles that he wrote, First uh, and Second Peter. All right, but to start off, uh, talk a little bit about this guy named Jack London. So, you know, when you think about people who write, whether it's uh, writing poetry or writing um, novels or short stories, people tend to write about what they know, right? So if you think about, you know, many of the authors that you've read throughout the years, many of the places and the characters that they write about have some basis upon the personal experiences of the author. So Jack London was an American author um, who wrote uh, a number of works that you're probably familiar with, at least some of them. Um, Jack London in 1897, when he was 21 years old, he actually left home and traveled to Alaska to take part in the gold rush. He was gonna go up to Alaska like many individuals and make money off the Klondike Gold Rush. Um, he only spent actually one year in Alaska before he returned back home. Uh, he did not make millions of dollars discovering gold, um, but he did gain a lot of personal experiences in Alaska that he used to write about. So those of you up here in this corner probably have read some of these books recently and maybe years ago some of you read the books, but what are some of the books you can think of that Jack London wrote that were based off experiences he had in the wilds of Alaska? Call of the Wild is one of them, yep. There's another famous novel that he wrote about a wolf. White Fang. So Jack London is probably most well-known for three works that he wrote. Uh, to Build a Fire was a short story that he wrote, and then he wrote Call the Wild and also White Fang. Um, and he made a lot of money off of these books. He was actually the, most, the highest paid author of his time and made the most amount of money for writing uh, during his time. So in addition to you know, the individuals who wrote novels we read about in literature classes, um, God also used writers to author parts of scripture. And when people would write books of the Bible or letters to the brethren of the church, they again would incorporate aspects of their own personal experiences into what they wrote. So God chose people who use their own personal background, um, their own you know, temperament, their own characteristics, and he used them to write the message that he wanted delivered to his people, whether they were Israelites or whether they are Christians like us here today. Um, Hosea is one example. So Hosea, you may recall, is one of the minor prophets. Um, he was a prophet during the very latest stages of the northern kingdom of Israel. Right before Israel was taken captive by Assyria, um, Hosea was living during that time and he preached and prophesied to the people of Israel. And Hosea has a very unique story um, because God instructed Hosea to go and marry a prostitute named Gomer. 
And Hosea did this. Gomer was a prostitute. She was not faithful to her husband, Hosea. Um, But they did have three children. And then after they had three children, uh, Gomer actually left Hosea. And we're not totally clear on the the details here. um, But she basically became a, a slave or a bondservant to others. And Hosea actually went out and paid money to buy her back, to redeem her and bring her back home. And then Hosea wrote about this story, this parable, if you will, although it was reality, um, in the book of Hosea. And it was an allegory to the relationship between God and Israel. Israel was Gomer, who had gone off and was unfaithful to God. And then God purchased his people back once again, just like Hosea went out and purchased Gomer to bring her back home. And there's even a a movie that uh, is out right now. I've not seen this movie, but the movie Redeeming Love is loosely based upon this story here of Hosea. So what about the epistles of 1 and 2 Peter? So Simon Peter, one of Christ's apostles, was the man who authored these two epistles. And what I want to do this quarter in our class is look at a textual study of these two epistles, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, but draw parallels to the life of the man Peter and think about what were the experiences of Peter during his time with Christ, during his time throughout the book of Acts and his ministry that may have led him to write what he wrote to the Christians who would read his epistles. So we do know that Peter the Apostle was the author of these two books. Um, If you turn over in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, um, the very first sentence there in 1 Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And then he goes on to list out some locations where his authors would be. And then similarly in the first words of 2 Peter, he says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So Simon Peter, the apostle, was the man that authored these books. So what about Simon Peter comes to mind when you think about him? I'm going to do a little test here and pull out some technology. So I'm going to ask you to pull out your phones, and I want you to text to the number 22333. And the actual message of the text needs to be William Brook, no S, 490. And that's going to enroll you in a poll. And I want you to, once you're enrolled in that poll... I want you to send in some one-word descriptors that come to your mind when you think about the Apostle Peter. What are the characteristics that you think about when you hear the name Simon Peter? So Patrick is going to pull up our poll here, and we're going to see if this works like I hope it does, what, uh, what's on your minds. And if you're at home, you can also do this. Just pull out your phones if you're watching the live stream. And to the number 22333, just text in the message William Brook, without an S, 490. 
That will enroll you in the poll, and then you can text in as many times as you want one-word descriptors for the man Simon Peter. Perfect. You can do this more than once. There may be more than one word that comes to your mind with Peter's name. So we've got impulsive, dedicated, a leader, brash, loyal, sorrowful. He was a fisherman. So I think these are all good descriptors of Peter, all right? He was a leader, and we'll talk about that here today. He was also very impulsive and very brash, and we know that from his quick reactions to situations before he had time to really think things through. He was a faithful servant of Christ. He was repentful or penitent for his actions. And his occupation, as we'll see today as well, was a fisherman. All right, thank you for doing that. Um, I'm going to let Patrick switch back over to our PowerPoint here, and we'll keep on going. So take all those words and think about those descriptors of Peter as we kind of move through our class here this morning. All right, so who was this man Peter? So he goes by many names in the Bible, all right? It seems to be that his given name was Simon. So we know of him as Peter most commonly, um, but his parents probably named him Simon. If you look over in Mark chapter 1 and verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So the word Simon means to listen or to hear, and this was the name probably given to him by his parents. Um, it's used 17 times in the New Testament, so it was not the most commonly used name for Peter, um, although it was his given name. And oftentimes you'll see the two names Simon and Peter combined together, and he's referred to as Simon Peter. Um, Simon's used first when the two names are put together. And this was a fairly common Jewish name of that time. Another name that we read a couple times in the Bible is Simeon, which is a, really a variation of the spelling of Simon. Um, Simon was the Greek spelling of this name. Um, Simeon was the Hebrew spelling of the name. But these are really the same name, just different language uh, spellings or renderings of that name. Simeon's only used a couple of times, twice, in the New Testament. We also read as well, he's referred to as Simon Barjona. So in Matthew chapter 16, that we'll spend some time on in just a little bit, Jesus addresses Peter in verse 17. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So, Bar Jonah, what does that mean? Son of, exactly. So, this is just the name of Simon, uh, referencing who his father was. 
So his father's name was Jonah, or John is another version of that same word. So literally this means Simon, son of Jonah, or son of John. So we can know from this, of course, that his father's name was Jonah, or John. But then the name that we are most familiar with probably is Peter, all right? And in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 18... While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Peter seems to be a name that was given to Simon by Jesus. All right, in Matthew chapter 16, um, Jesus asked the apostles, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say you are Elijah or one of the prophets. And Simon said, you are Christ, the Son of God. And at this point in time, Jesus apparently renamed Simon as Peter. And Peter would become the name most closely associated with this man. This would be the name that he carried pretty much from this point forward. So Peter is used, uh, let's see, 178 times in the New Testament. So by far the most common name for Simon was, in fact, Peter. And go ahead and turn over, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 16. So let's read through this passage right here in Matthew 16. So starting in verse 13, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And who was it that replied, you are Christ, the son of God? It was Simon Peter. And so at this point in time, Jesus says in verse 17, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is when Peter was renamed as such by Christ. And this was fairly common. There are many uh, examples in the Bible where God would give someone a new name. Um, Abram was renamed Abraham. Sarai was renamed Sarah. Uh, Jacob was renamed Israel by God. So it seems that Simon was renamed Peter at this point in time by Jesus. And Jesus uses a play on words right here. All right? In the actual Greek, verse 17 would read, sorry, uh, verse 18, And I tell you, you are Petros, and on this Petra I will build my church. The word Petros means stone. And that's the derivative that we get Peter from. The word Peter literally means stone. And upon this Petra, upon this rock, I will build my church. So the word Peter literally means stone. Jesus literally said, you are stone, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And that rock was Peter's confession that Christ is the Son of God. And then we also see one additional name for Peter that's used, and that is Cephas. Cephas also means rock or stone. 
Um, it's used nine times in the New Testament, and this is the Aramaic equivalent of Peter. So Peter or Petros in the Greek word, and then uh, Cephas would have been the Aramaic word for rock or for stone. So Peter's name literally means stone. But if you think about a stone as being a solid object, firm, unmovable, unshakable, is that what comes to mind when you think of Peter? Do you think of Peter as solid, unmovable, unshakable? Why not, Linda? All right. All right, so Linda says he was wishy-washy, right? Peter fluctuated all the time. At times, he was solid. He was a staunch advocate for Christ. He's the one that made the confession, you are Christ, the Son of God. Um, but then later on in this same passage right here, um, Jesus is going to say, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Because Peter, he, he, he didn't want Christ to do what Christ said he was going to do. And of course, famously, Peter was the one that denied Jesus three times um, during his trials. Peter was up and down, very much so. Um, but despite this characteristic of Peter's personality, he was still a foundational figure of the church that we'll look at uh, throughout this quarter. And he was still the man that Christ renamed Rock or foundation, Petros, um, because of his staunch advocacy for Christ, um, because of his ability to preach and be a, a zealot for Christianity that we see throughout the book of Acts. All right, so these are all the names of Peter, Simon, Simeon, Simon Barjona, Peter, and Cephas. So let's talk now about a little bit of the background of Peter. All right, what about his family? So we know his father's name was Jonah because one of his names was Simon Bar-Jonah. If we think chronologically where Peter fell, you know, we kind of assume he was around the same age as Jesus. Jesus was born around 1 B.C., right around the turn from B.C. to A.D. in our timeline or our calendar system. So if Peter was the same age as Christ, he would have been born about the same time, all right? And Peter was born to at least a father named Jonah. We don't know much about or anything really about his mother, uh, but we do know that he was from the city of Bethsaida. Um, in John 1 and verse 44, um, it tells us that Bethsaida was the city of Peter as well as his brother Andrew. So if you can see on this map here, the, the word up there in red, at the very top of the Sea of Galilee, um, that's the city where Simon, Peter, and his brother Andrew uh, were born. Uh, we do know that Peter's brother was Andrew, and in fact, Andrew is the one that brought Peter to Christ. If you look over in John chapter 1 and verse 41... Uh, we have the account here of Peter and Andrew um, being called to become apostles of Jesus. So let's start here reading in verse 41. Let me back up here to 38. 
Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and he stayed with them that day. It was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, uh, which means Peter. So we don't know a lot about Andrew, this brother of Peter. Um, He obviously was one of the apostles in addition to Peter. Um, But he was, I would say, a background figure. Peter was always front and center. All right, he was the brother that was the outgoing, the extrovert, the one that was always right there in the front. But his brother Andrew was the one more in the background, possibly more of an introvert. But Andrew was the one that brought Peter to Christ in the first place, which is really important to think about in terms of that family relationship. All right, Peter is the one whose name is used over 200 times throughout the New Testament. He was the most well-known of the original 12 apostles. He was a leader in the church. He was the one that preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost. But his brother Andrew was the more quiet one in the background. But he was the one that was responsible for Peter coming to Christ in the first place. Um, We also know that Peter was married. All right, so look over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. And we have an account of Jesus healing the mother-in-law of Peter. In Matthew 8, beginning in verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. She arose and began to serve him. So, there's one other passage uh, in the Bible that references the, uh, the fact that Peter was married, and that's going to be over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, Paul is writing a defense for his working as a tent maker. And he says in chapter 9, uh, let's see, beginning in verse 3, This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? And then he goes on to say, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Um, So here in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually references the fact that Peter was married and had the right to bring his believing wife along with him when he traveled as an evangelist or as a missionary. Um, While Peter and Andrew were from the city of Bethsaida, um, they seemed to have settled in the city of Capernaum. Um, If you look up on the map, Capernaum is just on the other side of the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. So while they were born in Bethsaida, it appears that they settled down, built their house, and then made a living, and and that's where he and his wife lived, in the city of Capernaum. And both cities were on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, 
and that's where they spent their time fishing as their occupation. Peter and his brother Andrew were fishermen, and they made their living by sailing their boat on the Sea of Galilee, catching fish. All right, that was their occupation. That's where Jesus found them um, when he called them to become fishers of men. All right, what about his apostleship? So Peter is probably the most well-known of the original 12 apostles, uh, only really rivaled by Paul in terms of being the most well-known apostle of, of all in, in total. Um, in each of the four accounts where we have a full listing of the 12 apostles, Peter was always the first one listed. So we can look over at uh, Matthew 10 and verse 2, which is just one of the accounts of the apostles being listed. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and then he goes on throughout the list. Uh, there are four total uh, passages where we have all two apostles being listed. And Peter was the first person listed in all four of these accounts. So he was a foremost member of Christ's 12 apostles. Um, he's mentioned by name over 200 times in the New Testament. Again, a testament to his being a, a center figure um, in the apostleship, but also the early church as well. Um, this is more times than Paul's name was mentioned and far more than any of the other apostles. So John was the next apostle whose name uh, appears the most number of times in the New Testament. But, but Peter is mentioned far more times um, than John or the other apostles. Peter was also part of the inner circle of Christ. So there are a couple passages we can look at. One is Matthew 17, chapter 1, which is the account of the transfiguration of Christ. In Matthew 17, in chapter 1, or sorry, 17, in verse 1, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And in verse 2, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. Um, another example of this would have been when Christ went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray just before he was arrested. He took with him the apostles to the garden, but then he pulled aside Peter, James, and John, who we refer to sometimes as the inner circle, to go with him deeper into the garden um, as he prayed. And we may remember the account where they fell asleep while they were waiting on Christ to uh, pray there in the garden. So Peter was one of that group of three that were the closest to Christ, the ones that he pulled aside out of the larger 12 in certain instances when he was going to do something very, very special or engage in something very, very intimate, like praying to God just before his arrest and crucifixion. He was a trusted member of the Twelve, despite Christ referring to him as Satan at one point in time um, when Peter did something really brash and really dumb. Peter was also the first apostle that Christ appeared to after his resurrection. In Luke 24 and verse 34, 
we have this account. Let's see. We'll start in verse 33. And they arose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This was the first account of one of the apostles um, seeing Christ after his resurrection. You may recall that Peter went to the tomb after he heard about the tomb being empty, but the tomb was already empty and Christ was gone at that point in time. He saw the empty tomb, but he did not see Christ until this account here. This is also referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or sorry, chapter 15 and verse 5. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 5, uh, Paul writes, And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve referring again to Christ after his resurrection. So, you know, you can take this as coincidence. Peter was the first one he came across, or as intentional, right? Did Christ choose Peter to be that first person that he would appear to, to see visible proof that he was alive, that he was resurrected from the grave? Um, Another testament to Peter's centrality is in Acts chapter 1. So just after Christ had ascended back to heaven and the apostles were left behind wondering, you know, now what do we do? Christ has died, he's resurrected, he saw us, he talked to us, and now he's left us again to go to heaven. So now what? It was Peter in Acts 1 in verse 15, that stood up. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of the persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which, was, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And he goes on to make the recommendation that they um, appoint a new member of their discipleship to replace Judas as one of the twelve. Peter was the one that stepped up and took charge at that situation when they were all wondering, what do we do now? Christ has left us, what do we do? It was Peter that stepped up and kind of took charge in that moment. And then we all know as well that Peter was the man that was selected by God to be the voice of God on the day of Pentecost when that first gospel sermon was preached. So back in Matthew chapter 16, uh, when Christ said, you are Petros, and upon this Petra I will build my church, Christ went on to say, I'm going to give to you the keys to the kingdom. The keys that would unlock the gospel, unlock Christianity for the Jews on the day of Pentecost, and we read about in Acts chapter 2, Peter also unlocked the gospel to the Samaritans, when he traveled and preached to the Samaritans, and he also unlocked the gospel to Cornelius and his family in Acts chapter 10, opening up the gospel as well to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle that Christ, that God chose to be the face and the voice of God 
to preach the gospel to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Peter, through all these references, he was a central figure of the apostleship of Christ as well as the early church. He was a pillar within the early church. Paul says as much himself in his writings. Despite the fact that Peter was wishy-washy. Right? So Peter's a very interesting character for all of these characteristics because of his importance, because of his boldness, but also he was human. He's someone that we can relate with. Someone who has ups and someone who has spiritual downs. All right? I think we can all agree that we're thankful Peter was written about in the New Testament because we can relate to him because we're the same way. We have spiritual highs, and we have spiritual lows. But despite however many lows Peter had, when he said, No, Jesus, you cannot wash my feet. When he denied Jesus three times. When Paul had to withstand him to the face because Peter was um, ignoring the Gentiles and favoring the Jews. All these times that Peter had a spiritual low, he always got back up. There was never a time that Peter stayed down. And we can relate to that. We can see ourselves in Peter and his roller coaster of a spiritual life. So, Peter started out as a fisherman. And he went on to be the man that denied Christ three times. One of his all-time lows. And then he went on to preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost. He was the man that preached the gospel when the church was established. One of those roller coaster spiritual highs of Peter. He had an up and down life, but because of that, he was human. He was just like all the rest of us. All right, I know this is kind of small on the screen here, but this is a timeline of the, uh, of the life of Peter. Um, we think he was born around 1 B.C., around the same time as Christ. That's sort of our best guess. He would have been called to become an apostle of Christ when he was around the age of 30, uh, if, if he was the same age as Christ. And then he spent three years from A.D. 28 to 31, 30 to 33, somewhere in that time frame. He spent three years as one of Christ's apostles, one of his inner circle, and then in A.D. 30, after Christ had died and rose and ascended, he preached that first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. And then for the next roughly 10 years, Peter was a minister for the church. All right, The first roughly third or so of Acts is devoted largely to um, Peter and the things that he did. We read lots and lots about Peter's activities in the early days of the church um, in that 10-year period that we read about in the first roughly 10 chapters of the book of Acts. Um, in Acts chapter 10, we're around AD 40 at this point in time. Um, Peter preaches to Cornelius, and the gospel is opened up to the Gentiles at that point. And then in Acts, or sorry, in A.D., somewhere around 40 to 45, Peter was imprisoned by Herod. Herod had killed James and figured out that, oh, they love it when I kill Christians. 
So he arrested Peter and probably intended to kill Peter as well. Um, but this is when um, an angel of the Lord rescued Peter from prison. Um, Peter went back to where the apostles were um, and returned back again to them. Um, at this point in time, we lose a lot of our historical um, knowledge about Peter, about when kind of bringing in some of the church traditions and non-biblical history. Um, we can guess around A.D. 50, um, Peter traveled to Rome. He references Babylon in 1 Peter chapter 5, um, which we're pretty sure is a reference to Rome. And Peter would spend the last 10 to 15 years of his life um, right there in Rome. Um, it was from Rome that Peter most likely wrote the book of 1 Peter. And if we think about, well, what was the purpose of 1 Peter? All right, we're going to spend a lot of time reading 1 Peter this quarter. Um, but 1 Peter was devoted to warning Christians about the dangers from outside of the church. Um, one of the key verses to 1 Peter that I'll read is 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Um, the word suffer is really a key word in uh, 1 Peter. Um, it's used 14 times in this short epistle. Other words we read are trial and testing. Um, Peter wrote 1 Peter, an epistle to Christians in Asia Minor. And the purpose was to really warn them about upcoming persecutions, uh, suffering that they would be expecting. So things that were coming in to the church from outside of the church. Second Peter is very similar. It's probably written to the same audience as First Peter, but it's really focused more on dangers coming from inside the church. So First Peter, dangers without the church. Second Peter, dangers within the church. A key verse of Second Peter is Second Peter chapter two and verse one. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Um, the word knowledge or know is used 16 times in the short epistle of Second Peter. Peter uses this epistle to really encourage the Christians to be aware of false teachers within the church and prioritize knowledge. Know the difference between false teaching and the gospel, the truth. Knowledge and avoiding those false teachers, that was really the key theme that he wrote about in um, the book of, or the epistle of 2 Peter. All right, so this quarter we're going to look at these two epistles, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. We're going to do a textual study of the two epistles, but looking back on the life of Peter to make parallels between all of these events that we've kind of referenced today, we'll do a deeper dive into those events and how they may have led Peter to write what he wrote to these Christians um, here in these epistles. So, real quickly before we finish up, who was the audience 
of these two epistles of Peter. So the very first part of 1 Peter, he names who his audience was. Um, he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, uh, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So elect refers to Christians. They were predestined. They were elected by God for salvation. Exiles. Exiles is a reference back to the exile of the Jews to Babylon. They were in exile in Babylon for 70 years. They were away from their home, but they would return back to their home. Um, there can be two different meanings possibly for this word exiles. Um, Jews there in Jerusalem and Judea were exiled from their hometown because of persecution that took place there within the church. We know that Saul and others persecuted the Christians and they had to leave that area for safety. But it also could mean just Christians who are in exile from heaven. We are away from our home. But one day we will return or go to our home in heaven and just as the Jews return back to Israel or Judea when they return from exile in Babylon. And then the dispersion or the word diaspora, um, Drew has mentioned this word a number of times, um, refers to the dispersion or the scattering of Christians around the world. You know, you think about from Acts chapter 2, the Jews who were there in Jerusalem when the, when the church was born were not just from Jerusalem, they were from everywhere. They were there for Pentecost, for that Jewish festival after Passover. And once they were baptized, became Christians, they went back to their homes. They spread all around. And then Christians were also spread around because of persecution. And then Christians were also converted to Christianity by apostles, by evangelists and missionaries all throughout um, this life of Peter. So Christians are everywhere at this point in time, and they are the audience of uh, these epistles. Specifically, um, Peter cites uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, these were all regions of Asia Minor. Um, Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey, um, he specifically cites as the uh, audience or the recipients of his letters. So he's writing to the Christians in this part of the world. And then lastly, he says in this beautiful language here, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. He has this beautiful descriptor of Christians using the Trinity, using the Godhead. Christians, we were elected. We were predestined by the Father. We are sanctified by the Spirit, and we are cleansed by the blood of the Son. All right, he uses beautiful language here to describe these Christians, us, even today, who are the recipients of uh, Christ's blood, God's salvation, and the gospel. And so we will stop there for today and look forward to seeing you all next week.